Hello. Welcome to this, the fourth of our Pensions 22 podcasts. This is a series of podcasts produced by Osborne Clark and designed to help you navigate the key pensions issues which are likely to arise this year. I'm Jonathan Hazlett, partner and head of pensions at Osborne Clark. I'm joined today by Toby Hole, an associate director in our team. We're going to talk about the pension regulator's new powers with a focus on the new notifiable events regime due to come into force later this year. So Toby, thank you for joining me today. Now I know that there were some changes to the regulator's powers at the end of last year and that we're expecting more changes soon. Um, could you start by giving us a quick overview of where we are now? Yes, certainly. Uh, So last October, the regulator was given stronger powers in three key areas. That was contribution notices, information gathering and sanctions for non-compliance. And that's new civil penalties and criminal offences. And fourthly, this April, we're expecting to see some changes around notifiable events. And in particular, changes to what employers must report to the regulator. And all of these changes are linked to the regulator's clearer, quicker and tougher approach to regulation. Okay, thank you for that. You mentioned four sets of changes, the first one being uh, to the contribution notice regime. I mean, going back to basics, what is a contribution notice and what changed last October? Well, a contribution notice requires the target, and that will be the person or company who receives it, to make a cash payment into a pension scheme. Uh, The point is to give the regulator a way of recovering money for a pension scheme in situations where its employers have tried to avoid their responsibility for supporting it. In terms of what changed last October, there were a number of things, but the main one was that the regulator was given two new grounds on which it could impose a contribution notice. Uh, The important point for employers is that the new grounds have made it uh, easier for the regulator to look at issuing a contribution notice, and they have the potential to catch a really wide range of corporate activities. Okay, so it sounds like employers need to take a close look at the sort of activities that might trigger a contribution notice. I mean, who in practice would actually be in receipt of a contribution notice issued by the regulator? Well, the regulator can issue a contribution notice to a scheme employer or any entity that's connected or associated with it. And connected and associated casts a wide net that brings in, for example, directors, shareholders or other group companies. Okay, and so what sort of level of cash payment would be required from a contribution notice? The cash payment to the scheme is intended to compensate for whatever initially made the regulator decide to issue the contribution notice in the first place. Uh, But the upper limit is the buyout deficit in the scheme. That's sometimes also referred to as the solvency deficit or the Section 75 debt, and it means the cost of securing all members' benefits with an insurance company. So potentially a a big liability if employers get this wrong. How far back can the regulator look when deciding whether to issue a contribution notice? Well, as a general rule, the regulator can look back at anything which has happened in the last six years when deciding whether or not to issue a contribution notice. So quite a long way. But for the two new grounds, the regulator can only look back at things that happened since the 1st of October last year. The key point is for employers and trustees to be aware of what's changed and make sure they take advice if they think the regulator's powers might be relevant. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Now, you said that last October there were also changes to the regulator's information gathering powers. Could you tell us a bit more about those? 
Yes, that's right. So for a long time now, the regulator has had powers to call for information and inspect premises to see how a pension scheme is being operated. And those powers were strengthened last October. And the regulator's also been given a new power to require employers, trustees and others to attend uh, for interview and answer questions. And all of this has been backed up by an increased ability for the regulator to issue civil penalties for non-compliance with these powers, in addition to criminal offences if anyone intentionally obstructs the regulator when it's seeking to obtain information. And I guess that brings us to the third change that you mentioned, the sanctions for non-compliance. Um, perhaps starting with the civil penalties, could you give us an overview of what's changing here? Yes, yeah, so in the past, the regulator generally had the power to issue penalties of up to £5,000 against individuals and up to £50,000 against companies. Um, but from the 1st of October last year, the regulator has been given a power to impose a civil penalty of up to £1 million in a number of the areas we're talking about today. And um, We've seen a lot of press and comment on the new criminal offences. I mean, could you give us a description of the sort of criminal offences that have been introduced? Yes, that's right. A, a range of new criminal offences have been introduced. I think I would highlight a few. Um, and by way of example, intentionally avoiding or reducing an employer debt due to a pension scheme or engaging in conduct, risking the security of members' benefits, in both cases without reasonable excuse, can be prosecuted as a criminal offence and, and can result in a prison sentence of up to seven years and or an unlimited fine. Uh, failing to comply with a contribution notice without reasonable excuse is also a criminal offence and can carry an unlimited fine. Now, you mentioned that these have gained a lot of press, and, and that's right, but we do think that they are mainly going to act as a deterrent and only be used in the most severe cases. And that's especially as the regulator um, has the option of, of issuing a civil penalty instead. OK, thank you. So looking at the changes that are coming in to force in April of this year, in particular to the notifiable events regime, could you start by telling us a little bit more about notifiable events and, and why they were introduced in the first place? Absolutely. So we've just been talking about some of the regulator's powers, but in order to use those powers, the regulator needs to get hold of information about changes affecting pension schemes. And the notifiable events regime is one of the ways the regulator does that. And it is basically an early warning system for the regulator. The way it works is that there's a list of events that trustees and employers have to tell the regulator about, and the regulator can then decide whether or not it wants to investigate further. And what kind of things are on the list of notifiable events at the moment? Well, some examples of events which trustees are likely to need to tell the regulator about are a decision which results in the non-payment of a debt due to the pension scheme, or perhaps agreeing to apportion scheme liabilities between employers. Um, some examples of events that employers are likely to need to tell the regulator about are perhaps a breach of a banking covenant or a decision which will change who controls a scheme employer, for example, such as a sale or a group restructuring. Um, the common thread is that notifiable events are all things which could threaten the security of members' benefits. So if a notifiable event happens, how quickly do trustees and employers need to notify the regulator? Well, trustees and employers need to report notifiable events to the regulator as soon as reasonably practicable. Um, what this means will depend on the circumstances. But as an example, the regulator's guidance says that if a trustee is made aware of a notifiable event on the Sunday, they should notify the regulator on the Monday. And by that, they mean the next day. So it really must be something that's done without delay. 
and, and what would happen to a trustee or an employer that didn't report a notifiable event? Well, it used to be that failure to report could result in a civil penalty of up to £5,000 for individuals and up to £50,000 for companies. But as I mentioned earlier, that changed with effect from 1st of October last year. And the regulator now has the power to issue a civil penalty of up to £1 million uh, for non-compliance with the notifiable events regime. OK, so you said we were expecting some changes in April. Could you tell me a bit more about the changes that are proposed to come into effect? Sure. So the biggest change is that employers are going to have to tell both the regulator and the trustees at an early stage about certain changes. Uh, we're still waiting for the final legislation and guidance, but we're expecting that employers will need to provide advance notification if there will or might be a change in control of a scheme employer. Uh, the sale of the material proportion, meaning 25% or more of the business or assets of a scheme employer, or the granting of security on a debt, which gives it priority over the pension scheme. And in addition to this, employers will need to provide an accompanying statement giving more detail about the change. And you said there that um, uh, employers would need to provide a, a notification at an early stage. At, at what point in time should employers be contacting the regulator and their trustees? Well, as I've said, we're still waiting for the final legislation and guidance, but it looks like employers will need to notify when a decision in principle is made to proceed with any of those corporate activities. And what that means is it's the point in time the main terms have been proposed, but before any negotiation or agreement about them has taken place. And the idea here is to give the regulator warning at an early stage. And it's also to try and ensure that trustees are brought to the table sooner, giving time for them to speak with their uh, employer about the corporate activity and make sure the scheme is treated fairly. And what sort of information will employers need to include in that um, accompanying statement that you mentioned? At the moment, it looks like it will need to cover the notifiable event itself, including the main terms proposed, uh, details of any adverse effects on the pension scheme or the employer's ability to support the pension scheme, uh, any steps proposed to mitigate those adverse effects and any communications uh, between the employer and the trustees about it. OK, so there's a lot for trustees and employers to be thinking about here. What actions are we recommending that employers and trustees should take now? Well, we've suggested a number of actions in our interactive PDF, but I think it's worth highlighting three key things today. Uh, the first thing to do will be to understand the changes. So if they've not done so already, employers and trustees might want to ask for some training on this topic. Um, trustees should also ensure that considering their employer covenants and possible notifiable events is a standing agenda item at each trustee meeting. Um, and thirdly, it's also becoming increasingly common and useful to have an information sharing protocol in place between trustees and the scheme employer, and that's to set out what and how information will be shared between them on a regular basis. So trustees might want to consider raising that with their employers. Um, and beyond all of that, trustees should discuss and propose any proposed corporate activity with their employer as early on as possible and seek to ensure that their pension scheme is always treated equitably, taking appropriate advice as and when necessary. Well, thank you, Toby, for explaining um, the law so clearly to us today. Um, thank you also to our listeners for listening um, to this podcast. As Toby mentioned, the podcast is supported by an interactive PDF, which is available from your usual OC contact. 
So please do contact me or your usual contact if you require any further information about the pension regulator's powers and the new notifiable events regime. I look forward to speaking to you in the next couple of weeks when I'll be joined by my colleague Alicia Kane to discuss pension dashboards.